normally, I've been, as I mentioned earlier, normally I'm going through the Gospel of Mark. We've been almost two years in that. I guess, well, about 18 months. And it was interesting, Patrick said, it's kind of a cliffhanger. We got right to the arrest in the garden. Jesus is about to be crucified. Now we're going to take a break for a couple weeks. <laughs> so y'all have to come back to hear how the, the rest of the story goes. So just to that, take that one totally away. Oh, no problem. Anyway, good week at VBS. The whole theme was about Australia and the sanctity of life. And the reason Australia fits in really well is because there's so many unique animals that God created that live down there. And, of course, we call Australia the land down under. So, teens, help me out. What are three unique things about Australia? It's a, a, an island. It's, a, it's its own country, and it's its own continent. Three unique things about Australia there. Anybody in here ever been to Australia? Anybody in here? So you might want to put that on your bucket list. Um, so we went to five different places during VBS. Uh, we went to, uh, this is a place called Uluru, and uh, it's a pretty interesting place. It's in the middle of Australia, and of course Australia is known, known for, what's this called? A boomerang, right? Anybody ever actually thrown a boomerang and got it to come back? Got it to come back? I, I learned, good for you, good job, Meredith. Um, I learned something new. I thought the boomerang was meant to throw and you hit somebody with it, you know, or hit something with it, and if you missed, it came back, so you get a second chance. But it's not. It's meant to like scare the birds so it stirs them up and then they, the, the aborigines use their arrows to kill the birds out of the air, but it's meant to stir them up. Um, but uh, you would think this right here is Texas, but the world's largest ranch is in Australia and actually just got bought by the communist Chinese, ironically. But anyway, um, these people are called aborigines. They were there before uh, the, the, the land was colonized. And of course, they're very similar to our Native Americans. They have their own tribal customs. But they're a beautiful people. What's ironic is evolutionists point to them and say these are the least evolved humans on Earth. That they're more like monkeys than anybody on Earth. Totally just disrespectful. In fact, even Texas textbooks about 100 years ago talked about the five races on the planet and how Caucasians how, were the most advanced and most evolved. Just total racism, as you'll see here in just a second. But anyway, um, but the Uluru is the world's largest rock. It's taller than the Statue of Liberty. To the Aborigine people, it's sacred. In fact, they have their own Genesis story about three spirits, which we believe in Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But they have three spirits that came out of the rock that created the world out of nothing using water. Very similar to the Genesis story. But it's also, again, it's, it's the world's largest rock. Um, and then here's the, kind of alluding to their Genesis story that's very similar to that. I think that oral tradition... As it passed down to them, it uh, got changed a little bit. But it's interesting. So the question is, where did we come from? That's what we learned this week. Because when you answer the question, where did we come from? Why are we here and where are we going? Those are the three questions philosophers have been asking for centuries. When you answer them properly, you'll see how life gets better or worse, depending on what your answer may be. So is evolution true? There's a trend among some Christians today that want to try to use the Bible and evolution and jive the two together, but you will see that they're not compatible. Evolution is not, not only not compatible with the Bible, it's not compatible with science, as we'll see here in a little bit. I'm not going to make a complete case for it this morning, but I am going to make somewhat of a case, at least to spur your thinking and get you thinking in this direction. What the phrase that's been told us for the last few years, especially during the pandemic and all kinds of things, is trust the science. Trust the science. But people haven't always been known to trust the science. 
This is uh, Ignaz, Ignaz Semmelweis. In 1847, he was a doctor at a hospital in Hungary. And the hospital had divided two wards for delivering babies. On this side was the doctors and training um, pre-med students on how to deliver babies. And on this side was the midwives and the nurses delivering the babies. The death rate amongst the moms and the babies on this side was 18%. Almost one out of every five babies and mothers died because of the spread of disease in this ward that the doctors were running. On the midwife's side and the nurse's side, the, birth, the death rate was 3%. Okay, One-third of, of, of the death rate is significantly smaller. And Ignaz Semmelweis came to him and said, hey, here's the problem. We are spreading disease going from mother to mother to mother delivering these babies and we're not washing our hands. And like, why do we need to wash our hands? He said, because there's germs on your hands. What? Germs? What are you talking about? Well, you can't see them. Oh yeah, you're talking about some invisible thing we can't see. If I don't see with my eyes, how is that science? And they ignored him and they continued to have this high death rate. And then a couple years later, he was so ridiculed by the medical community that he committed suicide. But after they realized this death rate is not going down, they finally tried what he said, and guess what? The death rate amongst babies and women went down because they were just simply doing what the Bible said 4,000 years ago to wash your hands when you come in contact with blood or any human fluids. Leviticus said that. Deuteronomy said that, that you wash your hands. And yet we're talking 1847, less than 200 years ago, this was not the norm with science. Science thought they knew everything. They thought the world... Uh, was the center, earth was the center of the universe. And when Copernicus came out and said, no, it's not, they ridiculed him, and they, they made fun of him. People, there's always something in the scientific community that's like, oh, nothing new, don't listen to anybody new, you do what we say, and there's tons of peer pressure in it. But they didn't believe in something invisible, germs that they had never seen before, but now we know that germs are everywhere. You know, but the Bible talks about these things, and they didn't trust the Bible. They're like always, well, no, trust the science. Well, whose science are you talking about? My science says that there's two genders. There's X and Y chromosomes. You're either X and Y or X and X. You look under a microscope, that's what it says. But now everybody's like, well, if you feel like a boy, even though you're a girl, that's okay. And if you feel like a demi-boy, or you feel like a this-whatever, or what are all these 60-some genders, what science are you looking at? I mean, is, is it really gotten this, this ridiculous? I mean, they now say that men can get pregnant. I'm sorry, a four-year-old can tell you this is dumb. And they'll, they'll say, trust the science. They will say that men and women are no, not different at all, but we know that they're created dramatically different. And they're equal, but very different. And, and if any of you are married, you can say amen, right? <laughs> we are very different in the way we think, the way we approach everything. Do you know why men, when they get the flu, they seem like so much sicker? And women, you're like, man, can you man up? Golly, why are you such a wimp when it comes to this? You know why? Because flu attacks your muscles. You feel achy. Men have 31% more muscle mass, so they feel the sickness 31% more. That's my excuse. I'm sticking to it, okay? <laughs> but they will say that, you know, there, there's not two genders, that men can get pregnant, that, women and, that men and women are exactly the same, and they'll say this is just a blob of tissue. It's your choice, your body, your choice. Wait a minute. This is not your body. This is a, they have, they have a different gender, different DNA, different brain, different heart, everything is different. And, and at, at six weeks, it has its own brainwave, its own heartbeat. It feels pain. It yawns. It sucks its thumb. And it's really not an it. He or she does all those things. But you know what the, the, the abortionist lie was? 
This is basically nothing more than removing a hang hangnail. It's a minor procedure. There's just no big deal. We just go in and we take it out. It's not. The baby goes through a lot of pain and anguish in the process. And to say that, now, and people will come up with all kinds of rationale, but they won't address what, we all, what science says, that, this is, that human life begins at conception. All of it goes back to Genesis. If you go back to Genesis, it answers all the questions of life. It's chapter 1, verse 26, Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let us make man in our image. Where does the plural come in? Right from the very beginning, God, one God, presents himself in three persons. You see, the, the Hebrew word for God is Eloi, but the word here is Elohim. You see, if you, if you see a seraph, that's an angel, but you see more than one angel, what are they called? Seraphim. Like we add an S to our words to make them plural. Hebrews add an I-M. This was God in the plural. Not gods, but one God expressing himself in three persons. You see the Trinity right there from the beginning. So what does it mean to be created in God's image? Well, we have a soul, a body, and a spirit. And this is one of the primary ways that we reflect the image of God because the soul of God is the Father. The body of God is Jesus Christ the Son. And of course, the Spirit of God is the Holy Spirit of God. All three are equally God and yet distinct. And again, you say, Gary, this sounds really complicated. It, it is. It is. I'm not going to try to offer you a, a simple explanation because any metaphor falls short. You can use the ice cube, the water, and the vapor, but that really doesn't explain God. God's much deeper than that. And, but let me, if that discourages you in believing in the Trinity or believing in God at all, do you really want a God that's so simple that it's two plus two is four? There it is. That's my God. He's that simple. <laughs> of course, God would be way more complex than we are. It's like trying to explain the internet to your dog. He, there's no way he's going to comprehend it. And, and there's no way we, the gap between you and your dog is like this. The gap between you and God is just infinite. So, we can't, other than that, it's not something that we can comprehend fully, but we can apprehend. It, this passage goes on to say, and let, us, let them, the man and the woman, have dominion, or let them be managers over the fish of the sea, or the birds of the air and the heavens, and over the livestock and over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Man it was meant to be a manager, conservator of nature. Not one to abuse it and destroy it, but not to go overboard to just let it go. You see, environment, environmentalists say that we're the problem. We should just totally step out of the picture. But have you seen why forest fires rage? It's because man doesn't manage the forest anymore. They've told them in California, you can't drag the dead wood out. No, let them, let them, let them, let them fire take care of itself. And so we've had, why have we had record fires in the last decade? It's because environmentalists say, no, you can no longer manage the forest. You have to leave it alone and let it do what it does. Well, have you seen your yard when, let, when you let it do what it does? And you see nature when man manages it and manicures it and plants and does all kinds of things. Think of the incredible hybrids and fruits that man can create by taking different things and merging them together. And the things that we can do with cattle, the things we can do with dogs. All the, if you look at pictures of dogs from about 300 years ago, they all look like Great Danes or greyhounds. But through breeding, we've managed them and we've created all kinds of dogs with beautiful purposes. German shepherds to sniff out drugs and to protect people, but border collies to herd sheep, all kinds of animals created for all different kinds of purposes, and that's exactly what God said from the beginning that man was meant to do. And so it says, And the Lord formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. 
And some translations say a living soul. Now, the animals were also alive, but what made mankind different than the animals is they have the breath of life in them. Your dog has a body. Your dog even has a spirit, according to Ecclesiastes. But what your dog does not have is a soul because God did not breathe the breath of life into them. He breathed the breath of life into us. And the uniqueness of man as God's crowning achievement in creation is something that the Bible makes abundantly clear. Naturalists would say we're nothing more than the other animals and that we are the problem of the planet and all that stuff. And again, if we're abusing the environment, that's wrong. Of course, I'm not for that. But we are meant to manage it, and we are different and distinct from, from all other creations. And says, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, uh, you shall not eat it, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely what? You will die, okay? Rebellion against God leads to death, and that's why we all die, because we've all rebelled against God. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. It's interesting, all these days of creation, it says God created the, the sun and the moon and the stars, it says good, he created the forest and the trees and all stuff, and it's good, he created the sea creatures, it says good. Every day he's saying good, good, good. And before sin, he looks at a man by himself and says, it's not good. because Not because it was anything defective in it, because it was incomplete. Why was it incomplete? Because it doesn't have woman. Woman is what makes everything complete. Amen, guys? Oh, man, some of you are in trouble after church now for not amen at the right time here. Okay. Um, it says, now out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird in heaven. Sorry, I went backwards here, I think. Um, so then the man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heaven and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper. So God's bringing the animals by him. He's naming them, naming them. So he's seeing male, female, male, female, male, female. And God's like, hey, you see a pattern here? He's hoping Adam kind of catches on to what's going on here. But for Adam, there was not a helper. And the word helper here is not derogatory. It's over and over in the Bible, it says the Lord is our helper. Okay? When your toddler is learning how to walk and you're helping them, who, who is the superior? Right? The person helping here. Okay? So the woman is meant to be a helper, like to work alongside, not below. And it says, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he had made into a woman and brought her to the man. So God performs the first surgery, the first anesthesiology, and brings in the woman. And of course, you know the poetry involved here is that the reason it's taken from the rib is because the woman is supposed to be at his side. Didn't take it from the foot to be under his dominion. Didn't take it from his head to she'd rule over him. But side by side, they too would rule as king and queen in the Garden of Eden. And of course, Adam's Really good at naming. He's done a lot of naming of all these animals. So when he sees this beautiful naked Eve, he's like, whoa, man, look at that. And so there he came with the name woman. Y'all believe that? All right. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> anyway, and then the man said, this is at last bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This is the first song. I believe he's singing this to Eve. He said, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. You think of all the amazing things that humans can do that animals cannot. And this is not to knock animals. I'm trying to show you that God created you special above the animals. We, we, can, we have a language. We can speak. You can say, well, Gary, what about parrots and cockatoos? All they do is mimic. They can repeat. They don't, they don't have a vocabulary or a comprehension of it. Um, but we can also read and write. All over the globe, people have written and oral languages. We can create music. There is a whole section of your brain dedicated to music that animals do not have. 
It's not just an accident. We can pray. We can communicate with our Savior. We can cook. We can invent. We can do math. The list goes on and on. You see, you take the gap between, you know, an orangutan and, um, let's just say, a possum. Okay? Orangutan is much more intelligent. You take a border collie and a cat. Okay? Way down here. If I get my hand lower, I'd go down for lower for a cat. You look at the gaps between the animals. But you take the gap, the gap between the most intelligent creature and man, the gap is so significant that you have to just look back at nature and say, wait a minute, if we've all just evolved, these gaps shouldn't exist. There should be all this competing over here, and some, some are stronger than others, but this amazing quantum leap between an orangutan and a human being is so significant, you've got to say, wait a minute, what happened here? How did this creature evolve without claws, without fangs, without incredible speed, with not an armored body like an armadillo, with inability to swing from trees. I mean, all the defense mechanisms it could have, we have none. I mean, when you're naked, you look like the, to a lion like you're the easiest prey out there in the jungle. Okay, because you can't run fast, you can't climb a tree very well, you, can't, you have no claws to fight back. What makes you different? You're creating an image of God. You have a creative mind. And you were able to do things that animals cannot do. But science says it didn't happen this way. Science says that, you know, you evolved from a monkey. Or at least the world science, not true science. And that we've evolved, you know, from homo sapien to ono sapien. You know, and we, we just think we're progressing so well. But you know what? Even PBS, public broadcasting, says that this right here is scientists are running away from this model fast. Because this one in the middle there, what they, what's commonly called the missing link or Lucy, doesn't exist. In fact, it's a fraud. And it, listen, this is not a Christian perspective. This it's is PBS. 1912, and an amateur archaeologist named Charles Dawson came forward with a discovery that almost changed our understanding of human evolution. Almost. Dawson's find was some unusual human-like skull fragments, and he showed them to the keeper of geology at the British Museum, Sir Arthur Smith Woodward. He explained that the fragments were given to him by some gravel quarry workers near the town of Piltdown in England a few years earlier. So the two men returned to the site and found some additional animal fossils that provided an estimated age for the skull bones, early Pleistocene, making it the oldest evidence of a human ancestor ever found. The excitement then continued with the discovery of a lower jaw that seemed to match the skull. But its teeth were odd. The molar showed patterns of wear that were similar to those found in humans. And a canine discovered later at the same site was intermediate in size between ape and human canines. With its large cranial capacity close to that of modern humans, Dawson's fossil closely matched what experts thought a human ancestor was supposed to look like at the time. It was named Eoanthropus dawsoni, and it was hailed as a missing link in our family tree. And this fossil was also fake. Totally made up. What's known today as the Piltdown Man hoax is probably the most famous evidence you'll ever find that even in science, bad ideas take a long time to die. In this case, the idea was that of the missing link. The idea that... So here's PBS, who believes and promotes evolution, says that Piltdown Man, the supposed missing link, was a fraud. So was Peking Man, so was so many others. Lucy, all of them were turned out not just to be wrong, but to be fraud. Do you understand that people were putting things together and trying to push it off as apes? They were trying to deceive you. This wasn't just bad science or incompetent science or incomplete science. This was fraud. They were trying to pull the wool over your eyes. And yet in kids' textbooks, you will still see the, the march of man 
and all their missing links, which are all lies, still being taught as fact. But it's not. But these lies take decades, if not centuries, to, for, for the truth to appear. Who knows who this guy is? This is Charles Darwin. Ironically, he looks more like a monkey than you do. But anyway, uh, maybe he evolved than the rest of us did. I don't know. But uh, Charles Darwin had an agenda. And even in his later years, a lot of the stuff that he said, he, he kind of dialed back. Did I say he had an agenda? Because he had a daughter died at a very young age, and he became angry against God. And see, this is what we need to get to. We can debate uh, archaeology all day long. We can d debate the second law of thermodynamics all day long. We can debate astrophysics all day long. But you know what really is the heart of the matter? Is why do you not want to believe there's a God? What is it in you that just does not want to accept that? And we'll talk about that more in a minute. Charles Darwin believed that man evolved from apes and that blacks were the least evolved. And aborigines, which have dark skin, were probably right down there with Africans as least evolved. Is that true? That is absolutely the biggest lie. That is so satanic. From the beginning of time, God created all the different colors, and yet there's only one race. In fact, whenever I fill out medical forms and they ask me a race, I decline to answer because there's only one race, human. And I, if, it's, if it's on paper, I write that in. Now, I believe in ethnicities. God did, the word ethnos is in the Bible. That's the Greek word, and there's a Hebrew word for it as well. There are different ethnic groups that God created, but there's only how many races? One human race. But he, he believed that there were multiple races and that, that the Caucasians were the most advanced. Well, you can't teach bad theology and not have bad results. People like Hitler and Stalin believed Charles Darwin, and what did they do? They killed Jews because Hitler thought that worse than blacks was Jews, and he, went, and he exterminated them, killed six million of them. You see, you can't have bad theology without bad results. Ever since Darwin, you see things going all different directions. You, you think a kid who goes into a school and shoots up other students if he, do you think he thinks all of them are created in the image of God, or does he think they're all just like monkeys and just evolved, and they're no better than I am? I guarantee you, he, his thought process is, human life is not sacred. I can blow people away. I can do whatever I want. Charles Darwin was the, the, the quintessential racist, and, and evolution is a racist ideology. Now, for political correctness, they've, they've, re, they've dialed all this back out of the textbooks, but down to their core, if you try to ask if, if man has evolved, do you believe some men and some ethnic groups have evolved more than others? Every scientific evolution would, evolutionist would say yes. But that's not politically correct to say in our modern culture, which it shouldn't be. Okay, it, Racism is absolutely wrong, and the Bible makes that abundantly clear. Here, anybody know who this lady is? This is Margaret Sanger. She is the, the, the proponent of Planned Parenthood. Okay? Coincidentally, she put Planned Parenthood in black neighborhoods more than any other, and that's still true today. The leading group of babies that are aborted are black females. Who's the racist? Christians are always being called racist. I'm like, what are you talking about? Come look at my church. You will find nine different ethnic groups in, in Revolution Church. Don't, and you, you look in your community, and you seem like it'd be run by a bunch of old white people. What, what, who's the racist? Margaret Sanger... Her job was to keep the, the black population low, if not to eliminate it. And did you know today in America, the black population has reached zero population growth? For every one baby born in America into a black family, one baby is aborted. One to one. 
In the inner cities, abortion has become birth control in the black community because it's pushed so hard, so hard that they want to do that. And so while we've seen the Hispanic population grow from 12% to 49% in Texas, black population stays, went from 14 down to 13 because of one single factor, abortion. Who's the racist? I don't, she's one of the ultimate racists. Darwin's a racist. Margaret Sanger's a racist. You may not know who, this is Dr. John Money. Dr. John Money was a sex psychologist who believed that there was no difference between men and women, that every male behavior, boys playing with trucks and girls playing with Barbie dolls, was just a cultural construct. It wasn't something they naturally did, it's something we encouraged them to do, which is totally, there's so many studies that show that's false. And so there was a, a parents who came then with twin boys, and both of them had their genitals with a birth defect, and one of them more so. So he said, what I suggest you do is mutilate this boy's genitals and make him into a girl and, and raise him as a girl. He won't know any different because it's totally a social construct. Both the boys grew up with incredibly psychological problems. And then when they went to this man for counseling because of his gender ideology, he had them do unspeakable things and took pictures of them. You know what you call a man who does that? I call that person a pervert. And yet this is the fond father of gender studies. Okay? I don't think the secular community is doing too good. Here's their founding fathers and their founding mothers. Here's, who's creating the, who's, who's, here's the people who are wreaking havoc on America and on the world today. Where does it all come back from? That God didn't make you special. You're just an accident. You're just here by chance. You're no better than a monkey. And all the bad theology leads to bad consequences. So the big question is, why do people not want to believe that God created us? and would rather believe in evolution? The Bible answers that question. It says that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. It's revealed from heaven that we all have a conscience. This may sound heretical, but this is true. Morality does not come from the Bible. Morality comes from conscience. The Bible confirms that your conscience is true. Before the Ten Commandments were ever given, people knew that it was wrong to kill. It wasn't like, oh, Moses, thou shalt not kill. Didn't know. Thanks for telling us. No, they knew all of that. Okay? The Ten Commandments codified and ratified what was already instilled in every man. Paul, the, the Apostle Paul says that the law of God is written upon the heart of every man so that we are without excuse. So God being unhappy with your ungodliness. God being unhappy that you're cheating on your husband. God being unhappy that you're watching pornography. God being unhappy that you're stealing from your company. Whatever your sin is, okay, I can name mine too. God's unhappy with that. That's obvious to us. And guess what? We don't like that. So what do people do? They suppress the truth. They will not allow creation and evolution to be taught. All I want, I, go ahead and teach revolution. Let us teach creation too. We can compete. We don't have a problem competing. No, no, we don't even want to compete with you. We don't even want you talking about Piltdown Man being a fraud. Lucy being a fraud, that people went out and found pig bones and stuck them in there with monkey bones and pushed it off as, as, as science. We don't want you teaching that stuff. They, what do they do to the truth? They suppress it. They keep it down. In fact, you can talk to someone. You, some of you have had extra experience. You can talk to someone about God or Jesus and be like, no, no, I don't want to hear that stuff. They'll actually literally put their hands up as if they could block your words to suppress the truth. And again, I'm not trying to talk down to people like that. I was one of those people. And many of you were too. But except for the grace of God and the blinders being taken off and the light of the gospel changing my heart to help me see things differently. It says, for God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, 
have been clearly perceived. Do you understand that? A five-year-old can clearly perceive that there's a God and there's a universe that he made. And ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so that they are what? Without excuse. No one can stand before God in judgment and say, God, I just didn't know. I didn't know you were out there. We'll talk about why. Because, number one, if I was to find this Apple Watch out there on the yard out here, this tells me something that's super obvious and any six-year-old can figure out that there's a watchmaker. And yet, this Apple Watch is nowhere near as sophisticated as my eyeball. Which, by my way, excuse my eyes, I was at the emergency room last night. I got an infection in my eyes, so I look worse than I usually, usually do. But the, uh, the sophistication of this watch says somebody somewhere made this. How ridiculous would it be that, you know, this, all this little metal and plastic was out in the yard and lightning struck it, boom, and it started ticking and started keeping time and, and starting, I can answer my phone from it. That would be ridiculous. Sir Isaac Watson, the, the father of science, the father of my, modern science, was a very strong Christian believer. And he had someone make for him the, 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 um, our solar system. So he had a, a metal ball in the center that was the sun, and he had each of the nine planets, whether you want to count Pluto or not, I don't know. Anyway, and they had them out there, even had the moons. So you could go over and crank this thing, and each one would evolve at this exact speed in proportion to the universe and, and this, our solar system. One of his friends, a fellow scientist, came and taught at the same university, came and says, man, that is an incredible device. Can I play with it? And he, he said, wow, who made this for you? He said, nobody made it. It just happened. He said, come on, who made this? He said, no, nobody made it. It just happened. He said, I just came in the office one day, and all these metal pieces came together and just progressively started working together. He said, you're insulting my intelligence by saying that. And he said, you're insulting my intelligence by saying God didn't make the world. And, and you, how do you separate that analogy from reality? That look at nature and look at the privileged planet that we live on. If we were just a fraction of, of, a, of a mile farther away from the sun, we would freeze up. If we were a fraction of a mile closer to the sun, we would burn up. If our oxygen to hydrogen ratio was just a fraction of 1% different, we would all suffocate. I mean, look at God has fine-tuned every little thing that we need for our planet. And yet you say, oh, it all just happened by accident. Let this enlighten us here. Ever had your tonsils out or maybe your appendix? You probably were told that these organs are vestigial or unnecessary organs in the body, leftovers from evolution. But scientists have discovered that these unnecessary organs are actually very useful. For instance, the appendix plays an important role in the immune system, which helps us fight off illness. The gallbladder is another organ that was once considered useless, but we now know it's needed to digest fats. Tonsils, wisdom teeth, the thymus gland, the tailbone, and the little toe, they were all thought useless at one time, but now they're seen as very important. A person can survive without these organs, but it's best to leave them alone. The same goes for so-called junk DNA. Researchers once thought that some of our molecular makeup was just scrap that didn't have any purpose. But recent studies have found particular components in junk DNA that are vital to life. God doesn't create junk, and when he made Adam and Eve, he declared them very good. Their sin against God started the process of sickness, decay, and death. 
but even after God's judgment upon creation, he activated intricately designed backup systems, like the immune system, so that Adam and Eve and all their descendants could survive after the fall. God created every human with absolute perfection, even designing organs and body systems that allow us to survive on earth, and through the gift of salvation, access to heaven through Jesus Christ. So when I was uh, 34 years old, I had a Whopper at Burger King. You know where this story is going now, right? <laughs> um, and later that day, I had the most incredible pain in my side. Oh, my gosh. It was just hurting so bad. I thought it was just indigestion from eating junk food. And so I'm taking Tums and whatever else to try to get it going away. And the pain is just getting worse and worse. And I, that night, I took some medicine to kind of help me sleep. I woke up next morning, and the pain's worse. So finally, I go to the emergency room, and because it was a lame hospital, they could not figure out what was wrong with me. I am there all day. I'm in the worst pain I've ever been. I'm blacking out. The pain is so intense. And then finally, all of a sudden, the pain just goes. And it wasn't just because of the medication. It just, like, stops. And I'm like, wow, that's weird. So they're like, well, you need to go see a specialist. So I go see the specialist, and he goes, I don't know why they couldn't figure it out. He said, that could have killed you. Your appendix was about to rupture. He said, and what I can best tell, something happens, he said, there's a flap on the, on, like a, basically a door of the appendix that opens up and relieves pressure. He said, your flap somehow got stuck inside and was building up pressure, and then instead of it bursting and killing you, your door flap opened up and phew, the pressure went out. He said, so if you have that pain again, and you will know exactly because that, that you'll recognize that pain, you come straight to this hospital here in Humble, and I will take your appendix out. And I'm like, okay, great. And he said, and if I open you up and it's not your appendix, I'm going to take it anyway. And I said, why? Why would you take my appendix? He said, because you've evolved past that. You don't need your appendix anymore. And I'm like, no, no, no. I said, you're not taking my appendix. God gave me my appendix for a reason. I may not know what it is. You may not know what it is. But God designed my body, and you're not taking my appendix. He said, well, it's up to you, whatever. So almost a year to the day, I ate a bird. This is no joke. I ate breakfast at Burger King. I went straight to the hospital with the same pain. Say, not try to knock Burger King, but it's your choice, okay? So I went straight to the hospital. He, sure enough, opened my appendix. It's swollen up like a sausage, took it out. But did you know that about 120 years ago, doctors, science, you know, false science, said there was 18 different body parts you did not need anymore. You know how many is on that list today? Zero. Creationists knew back then that they were wrong. Whose science went the right direction? You see how bad science and bad theology leads to bad results. How many of you ever had your tonsils taken out? Okay, yeah, some of y'all, right? That was normal. You got a sore throat, tonsillitis, boom. You, man, you got to eat all the ice cream you wanted, you know? And, there was, and that, was, that was the common thing back then. So um, it says in verse 21 back here in Romans, for although they knew God, they know, they did not honor him, what? As God. Here's the problem. Who's going to be God? Is it going to be you, or we let God be God? My favorite bumper sticker is that there is a God and you're not him. Yeah. And that's the problem. Adam and Eve in the garden believed the lie of Satan that he said, oh, you'll be like God's and you will know as much as he does. And that's what they, they wanted. They wanted to determine right and wrong for themselves. God has already put in our hearts what is right and wrong. We are not to determine it for ourselves. So they claiming to be wise, they became fools. And it seems like today, the, you know, I'm all for science, I'm all for PhDs and degrees, but some people, it's like when they get them, it's like Paul said in 1 Corinthians, knowledge puffs up. It's like the more they know, the more cocky they are, the more proud they are, and the more they become foolish. So another place we went to 
in Australia was the Great Barrier Reef, which is amazing. And the Bible verse for that was, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. The Great Barrier Reef is humongous. Um, there's all kinds of exotic life in there, God's beautiful creation there. In fact, the Great Barrier Reef is 70 million football fields large. That's like incomprehensible. And it's bigger than the whole country of Italy. And it's one of the seven natural wonders of the world. And one out of every 10 fish in the world lives in this part of Australia, the Great Barrier Reef connected to Australia. So you look at all the things that God has made here, and you think that all these beautiful things happen just by accident. You know, it's like when you behave, behold a beautiful painting, but then assume that there's no painter. And these things are far more beautiful than any painting. Look at that jellyfish with fish swimming around. Look how big it is. Incredibly massive. And so all these beautiful creatures God created, but the most beautiful of all was the human being. The human being is God's, what, what David said that is beautiful. He said, you form my inward parts in my mother's womb. So God's the one who forms the material and makes it happen. How, how does, you know, the two com contributions of a male and female all of a sudden produce this within days? It's amazing that God orchestrates things, these things and makes them happen. He says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. Watch this. My soul knows it very well. There's something instinctive inside of us that knows there's a God and that he made all things beautiful. Here's another video to help you with, with that. Nothing is more than a newborn baby. And perhaps no greater wonder exists than a human life growing within another human life. A baby thrives in a total water world for nine months, which is utterly impossible for any person to live in immediately after they take their first breath. A baby in the womb has blood vessels with a different arrangement and structure than an adult's. This helps him get enough oxygen to grow. The baby also produces hormones that cause the mother's body to meet the baby's specific needs. The placenta, a temporary organ, takes nutrients from the mom's bloodstream in such a way that the baby's needs are met first. And in the last weeks of pregnancy, the baby releases even more hormones to tell the mom's body he is ready to be born. Mother and baby are deeply connected, yet two very separate beings in an all-or-nothing reproductive system. A step-by-step -step evolutionary process couldn't lead to something so complex. God put these special features in place so that we could not only survive, but thrive. The psalmist declares, For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. The question that you must answer is, how were you made? You can deny the reality that God made you and that God created the human race and created all things, or you can think that it all just happened by some spontaneous accident. But not only did God create you, he created you with a very special purpose. Ephesians 2 says, for by grace you are saved. We can be saved from the punishment of our sins if we simply put faith in God. And <clears throat> it's not based on anything that we do. It is simply a gift that God gives, Jesus Christ on the cross, it's not a result of works. You see, most even Christian denominations say, be a good person, you'll go to heaven. I, I was taught that growing up in a major denomination. And yet, that's not what the Bible says at all. And say, well, there's different denominations because there's different interpretations. No, there's ignorance, and people ignore verses like this when it's as clear in English as it can be. It's not a result of your works. Anyway, I could spend a long time on that, but I won't. But then it goes on to say that we are his masterpiece. That's what the word workmanship means. And that you are created in Christ Jesus for good works. 
You don't become a Christian by doing good works. You become a Christian and then you do good works. In fact, these good works, this plan for your life, God has prepared beforehand, before you were even born, that you should walk or make that your lifestyle. Another place that we visited this week was the Australian coast. Um, Australia, nine out of 10 Australians live on the coast because there's 10 deserts in the outback. And there's over 10,000 beaches. If you were to visit one beach per day, it would take you 27 years. Who knows what this is called? This is the Sydney Opera House. There's actually 13 venues there, um, and it's pretty massive. It has uh, 6 million visitors a year, okay? And the lesson we learned here was that as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Now, again, evolution teaches exactly the opposite. They will sit there and say, well, you could be moral without being a believer in God. Yes, you can, but you're, you're, you are, you are um, what's the word? I'm sorry. Give me a second here. You are plagiarizing from God because your evolution teaches the survival of the fittest. That if a lion goes and kills a young antelope and tears it to pieces, that actually improves the herd. So why should we upset if, if, someone, if one race of people kills a weaker group of people? If one stronger person kills a weaker person? Why should we do it? It's all improving the race, right? Survival of the fittest, competition, you know, dog eat dog. That's what evolution says. That not only is it allowed, but it's what it, it improves things. So why are you upset if one kills another, if the stronger take over the other? But yet Christianity teaches you should do, treat others the way you want to be treated. And we learned about Mary and Joseph and how that they were engaged and that Caesar Augustus basically put out a census and wanted all, everybody to go back to their original hometown and to, to register there so that he could uh, count the people and that Mary gave birth there and that Herod the king was upset because the wise men came and said, hey, where is this king that's born? He's like, king, I'm the king. They're like, no, no, there was someone born here now. The stars have told us that someone is born now who is born the king of the Jews. And he is upset, but he acts like, well, hey, go find him. Let me know so I can come worship him too. So the wise men go and they find Jesus. And of course, by then he's two years old and he's in a house, unlike our manger scenes that aren't exactly accurate in our yard. But Jesus is in a house by now when the three wise men come and visit him. But then an angel tells the wise men what? Don't go back to Herod. He's, he's lying to you. You sneak out another way and get out of town. Well, then Herod was furious that they had tricked him and he killed all the babies, two years old and younger, male babies. An incredible slaughter. Now, uh, scientists, scientists said, oh, the Bible, you know, if that happened in Jerusalem, where are all the bones? Where are all the bones? Archaeologists have not found bones of all these babies. We should be finding thousands of infant bones all over the planet. Well, guess what they found in Israel? Thousands of babies' bones buried in several places. Archaeologists discovered this in our lifetime. And I guess, did, did all those scientists apologize for the Bible being wrong? No, they didn't. The Bible proves true. Archaeology is, is the Bible's best friend. So people have been treating others cruelly ever since the beginning of time. It goes all the way back to Cain and Abel. 1 John 4 says this, that love is from God. And if you don't love, you don't know God. And that's why our world is so cruel. We, think, we watch stream shows and we think everything's all honky-dory but are, do you understand there's 27 million people in slavery today more than the whole history of the earth has ever been sex trafficking and forced labor all over our planet and we like act like it's no big deal 
You know, LeBron James can talk about human rights all day long, and as he wears Nike, who is forcing nine-year-olds in labor in China. The hypocrisy is off the charts. Our world acts like we're all so kind, and we should be respectful of each other, but behind the scenes, people are still incredibly, incredibly cruel. So God teaches us that all people, all people, all human life is sacred, from the unborn to the Down syndrome, and the third picture there, the young man in the blue, that's my grandson, Alistair. He has what's the opposite of Down syndrome. Instead of having an extra chromosome, he's missing a chromosome. Alistair can play the trombone and the drums and the keyboard. Okay? He can play multiple instruments. My daughter-in-law, Jessica, was told by her doctor she should abort because he's going to have severe handicaps. He's the most wonderful grandson in the world. And yet, today's world would say, kill him. Um, the, the black and white picture is Helen Keller, born deaf and blind. If she was, today, if she was a, a, a pregnancy today, doctors would say multiple handicaps, and amniocentesis says that you should abort. Of course, we all know about American slavery, and people will inaccurately say, well, the Bible endorses slavery. It does not. American slavery involved kidnapping. The Bible forget, forbids kidnapping. And the Bible talks about bond servants where people entered into a contractual relationship, so I'll work for you for X number of years, without pay, if you'll do all these things for me. And it was a contractual thing. And slaves in those days could choose who they married, could choose to own property, could save up money. Many of them even left with more money after they was invested in than their owner. It was totally a contractual thing, bond slaves. So when the Bible says obey your bond slaves, it's basically talking about or bond slaves obey your master. It's talking about employees obey your employer. It doesn't endorse kidnapping, but that was the Holocaust of the, the black American that for, for centuries, that was based on what? Racism. That they believe, that's our Supreme Court, which makes all kinds of bad decisions, including Roe versus Wade, said that a black was only two-thirds human. And what did they base that on? They based it on evolution. If they had stuck to the Bible, they know that all men are created equal, which is what the founding fathers tried to get across. We treat the elderly bad. There's elderly in all other countries that you reach a certain age, they stop giving you medical care. And of course, the Jews were treated badly because Hitler, again, believed in evolution. And so you take this, and people say, oh, Christians, you know, what about the, um, the, uh, the Crusades? Well, again, that was mostly the Catholic Church, if not entirely the Catholic Church, which was wrong in many ways. And in some ways, they were right into the Crusades. In some ways, they were way wrong. But that is a fraction compared to what Mussolini, Stalin, Pol Pot, Hitler, and Mao Zedong, all atheists, what they've killed. Stalin killed 60 million of his own people. We pick on Hitler all the time. He's nothing compared to Stalin. You know why that's being suppressed in history? Because why? He's, they were socialists. And guess what's being put on our country today? Socialism. So we want to talk about Hitler because he's a Nazi. But guess what Nazi means in German? National Socialist Party. It's just the hypocrisy is off the charts. And the Bible doesn't teach socialism. It teaches capitalism. That's, that's a whole other discussion. So we should love everybody. But what about these people? Yes, we should love them too. And all the time I'm told Christians hate gays. Christians hate the LGBT crowd. I'm like, what Christians are you talking to? I don't know a single Christian who hates these people. We love them. We pray for them. We're related to many of them. I remember a few years ago when we were meeting at Bounce Town, I don't know if you, when you got Meredith and Brian, if you know, we used to meet over there, they, people invited you from there. One Sunday morning, we had about 90 people in service. We had seven homosexuals in, in, in the service at the same time. And the reason I knew that is because I was counseling some of them. Some of them were openly about that. Someone never told me that's what they were struggling with. 
But our church was so loving that they felt welcome there. And even though we preach the truth that we believe that this is wrong, we don't approve of your lifestyle, but we love you. We've got our own baggage. We've got addiction. We've got adultery. We've got pornography. We've got all kinds of things going on, too, that we're all struggling with, too. But we're not going to affirm any of those things, and we're not going to affirm your lifestyle. When I say that I don't approve of your lifestyle, does not mean I hate you. But they, want, they equate that with hate, that if you don't approve of my lifestyle, that means you're a hater. And that, that is absolutely not true. The Bible teaches that God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. God wants all of us to improve and to grow and to walk away from our sins. So if you're, if you're wondering about that's true, people say, well, oh, Gary, that's Old Testament. Well, here's the New Testament, Romans 1.25. It says, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worship and serve the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passion, passage, passion, sorry, for the women exchanged their natural relations with men. For those that are contrary, it's contrary to nature. Not just contrary to the Bible, it is unnatural. It goes on to say, And the men likewise gave up their natural, what is natural to be with women, and were consumed with passion with one another, men committing shameless acts with men, and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. These lifestyles, they have physical consequences. The sicknesses in their lifestyle is off the chart, not to mention the psychological damage. 1 Corinthians 6, if you need further evidence, says, Do not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, neither sexually immoral, that's the broad category, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, all kinds of sins. This lifestyle is listed as a sin, like other lifestyles. Try to move here quickly. The eucalyptus forest, another place. And this... This is interesting. This is called the rainbow, ironically, the rainbow eucalyptus tree. Nobody painted that. That's the way it naturally looks because of the sap that oozes out of it and changes colors as it comes out. Isn't that amazing? It's also poisonous. <laughs> There's three animals that can eat from this tree. What's this animal called? The sugar glider. What's this one called? Ring. Ringtail possum, right. And of course, we all know what this one is, the koala bear. They can eat these leaves and not be poisoned. A baby koala bear is born the size of a jelly bean. This is the one that's two weeks old, a little bit bigger than a jelly bean. And we learned, as we wrote on our hand, that God, with a smiley face on our hand, means that God created everything good and that he wanted us to be in harmony with him. But that sin on the next finger is what brought everything down, the fall of man. And they were told that you will be like God. And then, um, we, I'll go through all these real quickly here. And then it's not just Adam's sin, but it's my sin. We're going to spell smile with a Y here. It's my sin that causes me to be separated from God, just like Adam was separated from God. And how many people have sinned? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the L is, though, but God loved us anyway, and he sent Christ to die on the cross for us so that he could bring us back into harmony with him. And, of course, the E is he did that so that we could have eternal life. But salvation is a free gift. That's what the Bible tells us, that salvation is a free gift. You can't earn it. You can't purchase it. It's given to you if you will simply receive it. I want you to imagine with me, if you will, a hypothetical story here. Let's say you're driving on the way to church here, and you're running late as usual, <laughs> and you're on your way here, and you're driving a little quicker than maybe you should be, and someone texts you, and you think, oh, someone's texting me about church, and you look down, and then you happen to run over a kid that's riding his bicycle that goes to church here. 
and you kill the child. I know, morbid story, but just stay with me for this. How do you feel? I mean, you would be horrified. You would think, I don't even want to live. I, I, I'd rather I was dead than that child be dead. And yet, rather than that family wanting to kill you, wanting to prosecute you, wanting to get revenge on you, they come to you and say, we love you, we forgive you. <laughs> wow. That would be like stunning, wouldn't it? I mean, that would just be like, you would still feel horrible, but you wouldn't know how to feel. Like you're forgiven and all that stuff. And let's just say all this happened to like a 70-year-old male. I actually had that happen when I was a youth pastor uh, back in the 80s. I had a young man in my youth department. He got up work late at night. He played football, and he worked a job, and he was just exhausted. On the way home, he, he fell asleep at the wheel and hit a family head on. Anyway, he had to deal with this. But imagine if you're in that situation. And imagine, you know, some time passes and they say to you, hey, I want you, we want you to come over to our house for dinner. We have something important to talk to you about. Man, you really don't want to go because it's really awkward because you killed their son, their only son, but you do it because it's the right thing to do. And you go over and say, hey, you know, we saved up a lot of money for our son to go to college, but obviously he's not going to be going to college now. But what we want to do is we want to pay your way through college. He, my son wanted to be a doctor. We know you want to go in the medical field as well. And so we want to pay your way to medical school. What do you do with that? You're like, you don't feel worthy of it, but at the same time, you're, you want to honor this family's wishes. And what better way to, to, to honor that son than to do what he couldn't do so you go off to college? Now, let me ask you a question. How are you going to act at college? Are you going to be with the party crowd? Or are you going to be working really hard, busting it to make good grades? You're going you're gonna to do what's right because that's the way you honor someone who died to make it possible for you to do all that you did. Well, does that sound familiar? That sounds like Jesus, right? He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died. But the good news is Jesus is raised again. And so it's a, a beautiful story that we learned about. So moving along quickly, Cooper Petty, never even heard of this before. It's like in the middle of Australia where that red dot is. And it's a mining town. And anybody know what these are? Opals, yes. 90% of the world's opals come from this mine in Cooper Petty. Well, after they mine and they get everything out, then they turn the empty mines into an underground city. This is an apartment complex. Here's a church. Here is a mall. Here's a restaurant. <laughs> it's amazing. All this is an underground city. And of course, in the part of the country that it's extremely hot. So guess what? It's 65 degrees year-round in Cooper Petty in the underground city. And everybody in this city works together to make this city happen. Well, this relates to a story where Jesus Christ, after, just like he predicted after his crucifixion, he rose from the dead and he, his tomb was empty. And he said, in, in the book of Acts, it says in the first book, referring to the book of Luke, because Luke wrote, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, really it's Luke 1 and Luke 2. It says, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach in the Gospel of Luke until the day he was taken up, talking about his ascension. And then he goes on to say, and he presented himself alive after his suffering, many proofs and appeared to them during for how long? 40 days. This is something that a lot of people don't remember or recall. Not only did Jesus raise from the dead, and it wasn't like he was mysteriously gone, for 40 days, he walked around and said, hey, here, touch my scars. Feel my side. Watch me eat. I'm not a ghost. I'm not a figment of your imagination. You know, and he miraculously was moving around the country for 40 days and was saw, seen by thousands of people. And that's why Christianity spread so quickly, because people witnessed something that they had never seen before. In just the first 100 years, Christianity spread throughout the entire Roman Empire with no internet, with no printing press, 
with no motorized vehicles, just by word of mouth, people who were willing to die. The Roman Empire said, if you keep talking about this risen Jesus, we're going to kill you. You're like, kill us. And in the, in the Colosseum, Christians were fed to the lions because they're like, we saw it. We saw a guy walk around for 40 days who was killed. We saw him die. He was in the tomb three days, and he walked around and performed miracles for 40 days. How can we deny that? And if you look where the 12 apostles went, of course, Judas didn't go. Who replaced him? Right, Matthias, good. And so um, they went all around the world. And even Thomas, look where Thomas went down here. Went all the way, to, sailed south and went to India. To this day, northern India is predominantly Hindu and Muslim. Southern India is predominantly Christian. To this day, because one man went there and said, hey, I want to tell you a story about a guy who died for your sins and rose again. I know that. Doesn't that sound crazy? People don't rise from the dead, but this guy did because he was God in human flesh. And then it says that Jesus, after the 40 days, was taken up in a cloud out of their sight. And while he was gazing into heaven, he went and behold, two men stood by them in white robes. What kind of men are those? Those are messengers from God. We call them angels. And they, these angels said, and men of Galilee, why are you standing here looking into heaven? This Jesus, this Jesus you just saw taken into heaven, and he, he will come in the same way as you saw him go. So how will Jesus return? Physically, bodily, recognizable. It's not going to be, see like Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus returned in 1926 and he just returned in spirit. The Bible doesn't teach that. The angel said he, the same way you just saw him go physically out of your presence up in the clouds, he's going to return the same way. So we look at what Jesus left behind. He left behind his body. Not talking about his physical body, but the body of Christ. We learned about the, bo the human body and how amazing it is. How all these organs and such complexity works together like a, like a better than any machine that man could create. And if man could create an incredible machine, would we look at it and say, well, it just kind of came together? It just doesn't make any sense. It says in Colossians that Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You know, today, scientists still do not know why atoms, neutrons, electrons, why they just sit there and spin around each other, why they stay together. It's because Jesus spoke the word so that they, and by the power of his word, they stick together. And even you stick together. There is, a, there is a protein molecule that they've just discovered in the last 20 years called laminin, laminin. And it's the protein molecule that keeps everything together. And here's a picture of laminin. Coincidence? I, I don't think so. And scientists are amazed at that. In fact, the guy who cracked the code for the human genome was an atheist who became a Christian because he saw that the design of God in the DNA. The DNA is called the book of life, and yet people believe this book of life has no author. It, it just defies common sense. And so what did Christ leave behind? The church. And he, in, in the church, he wants to be preeminent. And so this is what's called the body of Christ. Until Jesus comes, you and I, are the hands and the feet of Jesus, spreading the love and the gospel of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 12 says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Different ethnic groups, slaves, free, all of it together to drink in one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And if one member suffers, guess what? We all suffer together. Did you know you need that kind of community? You need, to, when you're suffering, to have a, fam a church family suffer with you. And when you celebrate and you want to rejoice, guess what you need? You need a church family who will do that with you and says you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You think of a groom and a bride. 
Imagine this, if, if you're the guy, and this is your lovely bride, and she is the love of your life, and somebody says to you, hey, man, Joe, I really like you, but I don't care for your bride. I don't need her. You would say, well, then you don't need me. We're a package deal. And yet this is what people say about the church. Jesus says, this is my bride. I love her. I adore her. I gave my life for her to create her. This is the, the church is the bride of Christ. And you say, well, I like Jesus, but I don't want anything to do with this church. Well, make a distinction. Hypocritical churches, yeah, I don't want anything to do with them either, okay? And we're, but if you're looking for a perfect church, you know how that goes, right? If don't join it, because then you'll mess it up. So there's not the perfect church, and there's churches that don't, you don't need to be a part of, but don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Look for a church that God leads you to. Look for a church that teaches the Bible, that loves one another, and does, does both of those things. But we need to be part of the body of Christ, and we need to love the body of Christ. Hebrews 10 says, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. That's what church is about. It's, it's encouraging you to be loving and to go out in the community and do good things. And we should not neglect the meeting of some together as the habit of some is. Going to church is a habit. You have good habits and you have bad habits. Good habits include brushing your teeth and putting on deodorant. Take the hint, some of y'all. Anyway, good habits are a good thing. And you, do, you say, well, should we get a church out of habit? Absolutely. It's a good habit, just like brushing your teeth and taking a shower and all those things that you do that are good habits. And you want to make that part of your lifestyle, where you just come to the community. And it's not coming to church, so what can I get? It's also what can I give? And he says something fascinating here. He says, and encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The day, capital D. What's that day? when Christ is coming again. Isn't it ironic that all the world's religions talk about how we can make the world a better place and the world will get better and better, but Jesus said the world will get worse and worse and then I will come. Who's been right so far? You, you see it. Just even in the last three years, you thought it wouldn't get as bad as it, as it possibly did. Jesus is coming. My question is, do you know him? He loved you. He died for all the things that you've done so that you could be completely forgiven. I'm going to ask everybody, just if you would, for just a moment. I know it's been a long sermon, longer than I normally preach, uh, but I'm trying to condense a whole week of VBS in one, one morning. Um, would you just pray with me for just a moment? If you know Christ, would you thank him for your salvation? And would you pray that God opens the eyes of those who don't know him? And if you're here this morning, you're like, I don't know about Christianity, you're in a great place. We welcome you. We're glad that you're here. I realize that this might be a whole ocean full of information, and you may have questions. But let me just ask you to do this. If you would have a conversation with God and say, God, if you're real, would you make yourself known? Would you make the, the if these words that this strange pastor preached this morning, if they're true, would you help me understand it? And if you, I just want you to know that Jesus did die for you, and he loves you more than anybody ever has. And so if you have questions about Jesus, this is my cell phone number. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for your word. And I pray that you would um, uh, just help it to sink in so that we could be people who are more like Jesus. And it's his name we pray. Amen. If you made a decision to trust Christ or you want information about that, this is my cell phone number. You can call me or text me anytime. All right, we're going to do question and answer. And let's see. Ashley, Tori, and Amanda are all out. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm going to put Miss Chen on the spot. There we go. In fact, Rob just volunteered you. Okay, so come on. And she's going to use this microphone right here. So if you have a question, and we could say Dr. Chenda. 
educated lady here who believes in creation. All right, so text your questions to this number right here. And um, there we go. And then so we have three questions. We'll try to go through these quickly here, if I can enter my code properly. My face recognition stopped working. There you go. Didn't like the eyes. <laughs> Good morning. In the Bible, there was one unforgivable sin. When Jesus performed a miracle in the temple, uh oh, a new one came. Did I miss it? Okay. When Jesus performed a miracle in the temple and the Pharisees blamed the work on Satan and demons, when Jesus comes again, will he teach and perform miracles? If so, or if not, will people commit that same unforgivable sin, blaming works of God slash Jesus on Satan slash wow. demon? Wow. What a fascinating question. Good job, Sam. <laughs> um, so... Okay, the unpardonable sin, like he explained it very well, is seeing a miracle of Jesus and attributing it to Satan. A lot of people think it can be done today. I don't believe it can be because you have to actually physically see it. Jesus says, because they saw my works and did not recognize it as God, that they will be, remain unforgiven. It has to be, it has to be the seeing. So um, will Jesus perform miracles again? Well, during the tribulation, all the church will be taken out, so our decision is solidified. Then Jesus will return. People adoring the... Um, the millennial reign, the 1,000-year reign, will have a chance to accept Christ as Savior, those who survive the tribulation and those who are children are born to them. So will Jesus be perform performing miracles? Wow. I don't know. There's, let me just say this. I don't want to speak where the Bible is silent. It doesn't say that he will. It talks about how the millennial kingdom will be eaten restored and how the lion you know, shall lay down with the antelope and the young child should put their you know, a hand in a hole where adders are, poison snakes, and nothing bad will happen. It'll basically be back to the Garden of Eden, and the longevity of life will be restored, all those good things, and there, um, so it'll be heaven here on earth. But it doesn't say, all that's miraculous. So that, that's a great question. So I don't, the answer is I don't know. I don't know. That, uh, and I do that every now and then, by the way. All right, see if there's some other questions yes, there. I see another one. I've been puzzled with this passage. Before Adam and Eve ate of the tree, it says the serpent, also known as Satan, was tempting them by telling them their eyes would be open and they would be like God. Correct me, but Adam and Eve were already in perfect harmony with God. So when it is saying their eyes are open, does that mean to sin? They were deceived by sin and which brought forth sin into the world. Gary, let me know if I'm wrong on this. I'd like to learn more about this. Great. So Satan's the one who said their eyes would be open. And, it, and here's the key. And I had it in green on that verse earlier. It said knowing good and evil. And the word knowing means discerning or deciding good and evil. God already told them what was good and what was evil. Okay. And already put it in their hearts. Already laid out the rules. And Satan says, no, you decide for yourself what's good and evil. Don't listen to God. You can be like God. And, and your eyes will be opened, and you can choose for yourself. See, that's the thing. When we just, God has already told us what's right and wrong. When we try to decide for ourselves what's right and wrong, that's when we try to take his place, which is what Satan did and failed. Remember, Satan said in Ezekiel, I will be like the most high God. And God said, no, you won't. And like a lightning bolt, like the speed of light, he was knocked down to heaven. So the battle in heaven lasted a millisecond, it, literally the speed of light. So um, 
the, the Adam and Eve were, I don't like to use the word perfect, they were innocent. Because if they were perfect, they would not have sinned. They were innocent, but they were given a choice. And imperfection came in when they made the wrong choice. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, all right, another question. Why did Herod kill all of the babies? Because he knew that the prophecy was true, that one of these babies was going to be the next king. And of course, he didn't understand. it was a, Jesus said, my kingdom was not of this world. He said, if it was, my, my disciples would fight, but I've told them to put away their swords. Okay, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. It's a spiritual kingdom. He didn't come to oust Rome. He came to oust sin. He will someday come and rule in person. But um, that's why Herod did it. And think about that. A prophecy of the Bible has come true right before your face. You should be saying, hey, I really do want to go bow before this king. But in a hardness of our heart, we see the Bible's true, and we're still like, ah, I'm going to fight with God. Thank you for the message today. If appropriate, can you please explain how a late-term abortion is performed for those still on the fence? Also, they were fighting to perform abortions 10 months after birth. Wow, that's crazy. Um, yeah, even in like New York City, they, if, if an if abortion attempt fails, they give birth to the baby and then abandon it on the table and let it starve and let it suffocate you know, and let it die. And so it's, it's very sad. Um, but a late-term abortion, because the baby's too big to be taken out like that, they dismember the body. And now, but here's our biggest battle right now. 54% of abortions now are, are medical. It's the, 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 uh, the second chance pill. It's the morning, not just the morning after, but something you can take much later, and it chemically kills the baby. So all of them are cruel, um, but yeah, um, late, I don't want to get too graphic because there's still kids in here, I think. So anyway, but late-term abortion, it, it's, it's horrific what it does to the baby. If you look up a YouTube video, if YouTube hasn't suppressed it and keeps deleting it, but called the silent scream. It shows an ultrasound of a baby being aborted, and the baby is opening its mouth, fighting to get away from the instruments that are trying to kill it. So pain is real. That's it. All right, great. Let's stand, and uh, we're going to be dismissed in prayer. Again, service longer than normal, but uh, I'm not really going to apologize for it because this is what we had for today. So, Ms. Chenda, would you dismiss us in prayer, please? Thank you so much. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Gary's message and you speaking through him this morning, Lord. Father God, I pray that all of us here and on the Internet watching and will watch in the future will take everything that we've heard today to heart and really continue to learn your word and read your word every day, Lord. Father, bless our time together this morning as we fellowship um, and stay and eat lunch together, Lord. Thank you for all of your blessings every day. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.